uh, I Surrender unlocked one of those core memories. You know, those moments where you're like, I am taken back to a dark youth room that smells like pizza and Doritos, maybe a little bit of BO mixed in there. Um, but it, it just unlocked these memories of passion and excitement for the Lord. It unlocked these memories of moments in which my heart was sold out for him. And I'm not saying I want to go back to the immaturity of those days. I'm not saying I want to go back to um, just teenage angst and righteousness. I am wanting to go back, though, to a place of foolishness before the Lord. A place where I'm okay to be a little embarrassed because I'm so inundated with the goodness of God. I almost thought about saying this earlier while we were still in the moment, but I thought it was worth letting the hype die down a little bit and not being backed by Andy's beautiful piano playing, that we might, in a moment of clarity, commit ourselves to foolishness again before the Lord. Just in a moment of reflection, be okay with once again saying, I surrender. So those are the things that took my thoughts while we were worshiping, and I hope uh, they're a challenge to you as well. Well, happy October. Uh, it doesn't feel like October, but it is, I promise. I saw the date this morning. Uh, we are interrupting our regularly scheduled programming, which is uh, this series that we're working through called Come Holy Spirit, and we just want to interrupt it for a few weeks to reflect on what it means for us to reveal the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. Now next week, Cassie will come back to that prayer, Come Holy Spirit, and will reflect on Matthew's gospel and what the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus looks like as it's empowered by the Spirit of God. But today we're wrapping up that vision series and reflecting on our calling in this city. And in summary, here's what we've covered. First, the kingdom of Jesus is what life looks like when God is in charge. And our role in this city is to demonstrate what it looks like. And that should be a life that is more beautiful, more just, and more compelling than anything else on offer. It's an invitation to see the life Jesus calls abundant. And we do that together as a church community. Our simple invitation is, if you want to make Midtown your home, we ask you to commit to five things, as Cassie mentioned last week. The first being, reveal the kingdom. Be a committed Jesus follower in this city. Second, belong to a microchurch or a spiritual community that is walking with you through the highs and the lows of life. Third, gather on Sundays as often as you can be here in this place because we desperately need reminders of our life as a community. Fourth, serve both our city and one another. There's this beautiful invitation of Jesus to come and learn how to be a humble servant of all. And then fifth, five, be generous. Now, these commitments make up the ebb and flow of our calendar, and they continue to draw us into life together. And if you're looking for a place, just a good place to spend 90 minutes on a Sunday morning with friendly people and a decent cup of coffee, you are welcome to hang out here for as long as you want. 
There will be no judgment. There will be no signing a piece of paper. Uh, there's only love and open arms. But I will offer a word of caution. You will not discover the life Jesus calls abundant with a half-hearted commitment. You will not discover the depths of rich relationship or the treasure that is life together without some commitment to these people. Observing a community by attending every once in a while or once a month or so is not the same as being deeply committed to one another and the vision Jesus has for his people. So our invitation is to walk with us as we discover what it is to reveal the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. And those final words, in Kansas City, are the subject of today's reflection. What does it mean to live our lives unto Christ in this city at this time? How are we to be the people of God in Kansas City? And how does Kansas City shape us? Because places shape us, right? It's something we know at an intuitive level when someone says they grew up in a particular place you're immediately given access to a whole host of data about the environment, culture, and the land that shaped their life. The places we live are not simply neutral settings in our history. They are active and important characters shaping our story with their landscape, their pace, and their people. The stories we know by heart bear witness to this. Imagine the TV show Friends set in Tucson, Arizona instead of New York City. Or imagine Dorothy says, Toto, I don't think we're in Berkeley anymore. It's a very different story. Imagine Toy Story taking place in a studio apartment in Houston, Texas. Or Peter Parker born in Atchison, Kansas. Imagine Ron Swanson as the director of the Miami, Florida Parks and Recreation Department. The places we spend our lives are not simply a background. They hold a powerful role in shaping who we are. A place will mold our sense of time and our pace of life. A place develops our temperature preferences and whether we believe 50 degrees is cold enough for a winter coat. A place shapes whether we are more comfortable navigating the woods or a subway station. A place, its culture, climate, and seasons impact everything from our work schedule to our sleeping habits. A place's spiritual life, its religious institutions, its values and loyalties have a way of leaving their mark on us for good and for bad. The places we live are not just passive settings that we shed every few years. They are the environment in which our souls are shaped and our life takes place. But in our increasingly globalized world of economic disparities, remote work, and app-based convenience, there is a growing sense of rootlessness, dislocation, and restlessness. Maybe said more acutely, we are a displaced people disconnected from the places we call home. There's this book called Beyond Homelessness that really explores the shape and the crisis of homelessness, but moves beyond that to address all the forms of displacement humans experience. And in that work, the authors write this. 
Whether we are talking about the upwardly mobile who view each place as a rung in the ladder that goes up to who knows where, or the postmodern nomad with no roots in any place or any tradition of place, or the average consumer who doesn't know anything about the place where she lives or the places her food comes from, the reality is the same. We are a culture of displacement. That simple observation, we are a culture of displacement, is reinforced by the 24-hour news cycle and the constant stream of information we receive. Migrants forced from their homelands by ethnic violence. Waves of immigrants seeking economic opportunity. The dismissing or apathy of the impoverished in this city. The lonely anonymity of the upwardly mobile business class. Or the isolation and disconnection of stay-at-home moms, remote workers, the disabled and the elderly. There is a profound sense that we are strangers in a strange land disconnected from the places we call home. Or as Eli Wessel describes the 21st century, he says the 20th century is the age of the refugee, the stateless, and the wanderer. Never before have so many human beings fled from so many homes. Now seems like a good time for a quick disclaimer. Um, this is not a case for why you should never move. Um, that's a non-starter based on my own story, uh, human history and the biblical text. If you remember, in Genesis 12, Abraham moves from the land of his fathers to a place God leads him. So I recognize there are legitimate reasons to move, the primary reason being you feel a prompting of the Spirit. Moving closer to family, for work, for education, or for health reasons are all legitimate reasons for relocation. So I'm not critiquing the phenomenon of moving. Rather, I want to call your attention to the restlessness in your heart and mine. That daydreaming about a different life in a different city with different people. The jealous scrolling through an acquaintance's feed, envious of their life in that other place. That anxiety, dis-ease, and wonderlust that bars us from contentment and peace. We're all victims of the FOMO epidemic. We live in a constant fear that we are missing out on something, somewhere. I think the well-worn cliche, the grass is always greener, comes to my mind. Is it just me or is restlessness a great metaphor for the whole of the human condition? Poets, writers, artists, mystics, therapists, Philosophers all tell of our wandering heart and our nomadic ways. We've tried so many different ways to fill that deep need for eternity at the core of our being. Be it sex, power, influence, a new view, a new job, or a new town, none of those things will settle our restless souls. For the story of humanity is our restless pursuit of an inferior home we made with our hands. The whole time God offering us an eternal home he made with his. Or as Augustine puts it, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
In one of my favorite books of all time, Domestic Monastery, the author Ronald Royhauser writes about the cell or the humble bedrooms monks live in. If you've ever spent any time in an abbey, you'll know it's literally just a bed and a desk, maybe a book or a candle. And so in this book, he's describing the, the cell, the bedroom monks live in, and he quotes some wisdom from 3rd and 4th century monastics. They would say, go to your cell, go to your humble bedroom, and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. And then Rollheiser will go on to say, the cell refers to duty, vocation, and commitment. In essence, this is what is being said. Go to your cell and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. Stay inside your vocation, inside your commitments, inside your legitimate conscriptive duties, inside your church, inside your family, and they will teach you where life is found and what love means. Be faithful to your commitments and what you are ultimately looking for will be found there. What if in a culture of displacement, there is a simple wisdom in making the best of wherever you find yourself? Or to quote a friend, the grass isn't greener over there, it's greener where you water it. So, so unless you are a visitor, your current place of residence is Kansas City, the city of fountains, Paris of the plains, barbecue capital of the world, Cowtown, heart of America, KC. Maybe you grew up here and call one of the local high schools your alma mater, or maybe you're a transplant, new to the city for education, work, or relationships. However long or short you've been here, the point is that you're, you are here in Kansas City. And you can spend a significant amount of time daydreaming about where you will go next, haunted by your own restlessness, or we can figure out what it looks like to make a place a home. What if our commitments to a place, a town, or a city can teach us something about our commitment to God? What could we learn by simply committing ourselves to what God is doing here in Kansas City? What if we learn to make our home wherever we find ourselves and it teaches us to make our home in God? And this idea of making a place a home is at the heart of the text read over us. So the simple task for today is to reflect on Jeremiah's letter to a displaced people and ponder the wisdom it might offer us as we seek to make a home here in Kansas City. So, to begin with, a brief history lesson on Jeremiah's letter to a displaced people. History buffs, get excited. In 587 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed, and the Israelites were taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. Their birthplace, their home, the place they knew as the promised land, left behind as they were forced to walk the 700 miles across a Middle Eastern desert to a strange land called Babylon. And in their longing for home, they slipped into self-pity and discontentment. None of you would ever do that, but they did. <laughs> and the religious leaders with them nurtured this discontentment. 
The false prophets made a living inspiring self-pity and peddling nostalgia. This is what Jeremiah condemns in verses 8 and 9. They claim to have dreams from God promising that the exiles would soon return to the land of their ancestors. And to counter these false prophets, two messengers arrive from Jerusalem with a letter from the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what that letter says in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. From Jerusalem to Babylon. First things first, the theology of place. It's in my humble opinion, an underdeveloped aspect of biblical study is a theology of place. But if you just take a moment to think about the biblical narrative, so much of it revolves around places and locations. The creation narrative starts in a place, a garden with borders, a climate, a landscape, and a destiny. As I mentioned earlier, Abraham is called from the land of his ancestors to a place identified by God. Moses leads the people of Israel from a land of oppression, and Joshua leads them to a land of promise. The first kings of Israel, Saul, David, dream of building a permanent dwelling space for God, and it's the third king, Solomon, who builds that dream. Eden... Sodom, Egypt, Sinai, Carmel, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Gethsemane, Golgotha, the names of these places become monuments to the events that took place on their soil. Places are significant in the biblical text. And none more so than Jerusalem, the place where God dwelled and they had been forcibly removed. The Israelites found themselves in a strange land disconnected from everything they held dear. If you can, imagine being forced to spend an extended amount of time in a place you do not like, with people you do not like, in a landscape totally unfamiliar, and if you can, you might not be far from understanding how these exiled Israelites felt. So one could imagine Jeremiah's letter being a summons to arms. Prepare for war, we're going to fight our way out of this. Or a plan to escape, get ready because we're getting out of dodge. Prep yourself. Or even just a strategy for transition. Do what you need to do, but don't get too comfortable. But Jeremiah's instructions to a restless and displaced people are none of the above. Rather, Jeremiah instructs the exiles to build houses and to make yourself at home. The situation is not temporary. It is not a camping trip. Time to move out of the tents. Dig foundations. Construct a home. This may not be your favorite place but make the best life you can for yourself. Put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. Enter into the rhythms of the seasons. Take part in the local economy. Get your hands in Babylonian soil. Learn some new recipes. Break a sweat and invest in the ground you are standing on. He says, marry and have children. 
Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in a country and not waste away. The people of this place are not beneath you or above you. They are your equals. Develop relationships. Engage in friendships. Create a thick web of interconnectedness. For you cannot be the person God wants you to be in isolation. He says, make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things go well for you. Or as the ESV puts it, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray for the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. Now within the ancient Hebrew text, welfare is a translation of the Hebrew word shalom. So it could be written, seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. In its shalom, you will find shalom. Shalom is this ancient Hebrew concept of wholeness. It is this idea of a vibrant and healthy community that is driven forward with divine purpose towards human flourishing. Shalom is the blossoming of life where humanity and God are in deep relationship. Or as Adam Gustan defines it, shalom is God's wholeness where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. It is a society living in the goodness of God where all are taken care of. Pray for Babylon. Pray for your captor. Pray for your enemy. Seek the good of the city where you find yourself in, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Notice how ordinary Jeremiah's list is. Live in a house, plant a garden, get a job, create relationships, raise a family, and pray. Could it be our calling as a restless people is not to the extraordinary or the astonishing, but to see the raw materials of our life as opportunity for God's grace, mercy, and goodness to flow? Or as Eugene Peterson puts it, Christian spirituality means living in the mature wholeness of the gospel. It means taking all the elements of your life Children, spouse, job, weather, possessions, relationships, and experiencing them as an act of faith. God wants all the material of your life. So, no matter how long or short you think you will be in this city, Kansas City, let Jeremiah's instructions ring in your ears. Build homes. Lay a foundation. Move into the neighborhood. Get a Kansas City address, or even better, get a Midtown address. Plant gardens and eat. Start a business. Get a job. Enter into the rhythms of our city. Get your hands in Missouri soil. Be a part of our city's econo economy Excuse me, in such a way that you provide for your family and your neighbor. Start families and lay down roots. 
wind yourself into a thick web of interconnected relationships. Anchor yourself in a neighborhood so that you might see 50 years of change and development and growth and be a part of directing all of that. Pray for your city. Be a part of the shalom of God in Kansas City. We are called to attend to what is beautiful, what is good, and what is just. To collaborate with God in creating an Eden-like city in the middle of our country. Or as Jennifer Kraft writes, through acts of imagination, ordering, planning, building, and so on, all humans may participate in the hopeful renewal of our creation. God's presence can be found in arenas of local human placemaking. And it is in this very locality that speaks to the abiding presence of God in all the worlds. The abiding presence of God in all the worlds. For God is in our midst. I reference Eugene Peterson a lot, in part because he's my favorite. He spent 29 years pastoring at Christ, our Presbyterian church in Bel Air, Maryland. Not the other Bel Air. His most known contribution to the church was his message paraphrase. And it's his tedious translation of ancient Hebrew and Greek into a language that spoke to the heart of his people in Bel Air, Maryland. And I think he does a pretty good job speaking to our heart as well in Kansas City. And there's this one particular translation of John 1.14 that haunts me in the best of ways. He writes, The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus, the word of God, took on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood creator of the universe showed us what it means to be human by living in a specific time, in a specific place, in a specific culture. Jesus spoke with a Galilean accent. Our entire faith hinges on the doctrine of the incarnation. When God becomes a human, social, living, and material being, one who made his home in our midst. Jesus was a craftsman who built homes and helped families put down roots. In John, he was mistaken for a gardener, one who knew how to cultivate a soul. Jesus was building a family, one that would stretch beyond social, ethnic, and national boundaries. Jesus worked for the peace, not just of his hometown, but for the peace of all the worlds. Build homes, plant gardens, build families. Seek the peace of the city. As Abraham Kuyper put it, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign of all, does not cry, mine. This is not a call to add a bunch of stuff to your life. If anything, it's the opposite. It's a call to see the ordinary stuff of homemaking, gardening, family, relationships, friends, and prayer as the stuff God uses. To follow Jesus, to do what he would do in our city if he were us.
for the Christian gospel is that we have all found ourselves displaced, homeless, and restless, but the creator of the universe refused to leave us that way. So he moved into the neighborhood and he offered us the opportunity to make our home in his love. His aim is to make us a home better than we could ever imagine. Jeremiah will pick up on this theme with a sentence that has been printed on millions of graduation cards. And it's a text, if I'm not careful, I can dismiss as a sentimental pipe dream. I don't think Jeremiah means that everything you do will be blessed, prosperous, or successful. For remember the context. He's writing to a people who are not where they want to be. He's writing to a people who are experiencing legitimate suffering and trial. And his word to them is that he will meet them where they are. And so, if you find yourself a cranky pessimist like me, would you be willing to just open your heart to hear this read over you once more? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for shalom and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. I think this is a promise that his promised future is better than anything we can imagine for ourselves. And he promises that wherever we find ourselves, he is right there. This God with us is a theme that the gospel authors will pick up and specifically John will write in 1 John 4, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So that we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Whatever cultural displacement we feel, whatever exile we experience, whatever isolation and alienation may come, if we search the raw materials of our life, we will find him in our midst. This is what Dallas Willard calls the golden thread of Scripture. For from, from the beginning to the end, the Bible is all about God making his home with us that we may know and live in his love. And the mission of our lives will, will be coming to believe that the God of the universe actually loves us. And the mission of this church will be, will be declaring this love to the city we live in. Worship team, would you join me? For those of us with restless souls, I think God is inviting us to discover his love here and now in Kansas City. 
And I debated for a long time how direct I wanted to be. Um, I know some of you are considering a move or a trans transition, excuse me. Um, and so please hear my heart. This is not one of those pastoral subtle jabs where I worked you into my sermon, I had you in mind. This is not that, I promise. For God has been calling missionaries, church planters, entrepreneurs, and families for a long time, and I refuse to be someone who stands in front of that. But I am jealous for my city. And I am concerned about the restlessness of my own heart. That I may mistake rootlessness for calling. By nature of this community, Cassie and I often interact with 20-somethings who are considering their next move. And my hope for them and my hope for you is that no matter how long you're here, whether it's years, days, or months, that the goodbye will be hard. Because hard goodbyes speak of a life well lived. Hard goodbyes speak of that interconnectedness and hearts woven together and love shared amongst people. Make it hard to leave. And so for that reason, in my love for each of you, I will be direct. Would you consider making Kansas City your home? First, if you've already made this decision, my suggestion would be to pay attention to where God is at work in this city. Jeremiah's instructions are to seek God and he will be found. And I think one of the most basic Christian practices is searching for the activity of God in the places no one else has ever looked before. To look into the everyday components of our life and ask, God, where are you at work? And his promise is that he will be found. Imagine an entire community of Jesus' followers who are paying attention to the subtle signs that God is at work. What could he accomplish through that type of community? Second, if you haven't committed would you consider making Kansas City your home? No matter how long you will be here, God's invitation is to discover his goodness here in Kansas City. Make it so that you've bled, you've cried, and you've sweat on Kansas City soil. That you've made friends that feel more like family. Seek God and have memories of his work in this city. And so in the shadow of Jeremiah, here is my invitation to you. Build homes. Lay a foundation. Move into the neighborhood. Get a Kansas City address. Or even better, get a Midtown address. Plant gardens and eat what comes from them. Start a business. Get a job. Enter into the rhythms of our city and get your hands in Missouri soil. Be a part of our city's economy in such a way that you provide for family and neighbors. Start families and lay down roots. Wind yourself into a thick web of interconnected relationships. Anchor yourself in a, a neighborhood so that you might see 50 years of development and change and be a part of directing all of them. Pray for your city and be a part of the shalom in Kansas City. Partner with God in making this city a place of wholeness 
where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. To the praise of his glory in Kansas City. Would you stand with me? Just that ancient posture. Would you just put your hands out for you? There's, there's nothing special about this other than just aligning our bodies with the posture of our heart. I think if you call yourself a Jesus follower, the fundamental posture is one of surrender and openness to what He might do us. Father, our prayer is come Holy Spirit. Whisper to our hearts Whether you are calling us somewhere else or you are calling us to put down roots in this city, help us learn what it is to make our home wherever we find ourselves. Bring rest to these restless hearts. Teach us to relax and to make our home in your to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.